right, so we're going to go ahead and jump into our message this morning. We're going to do kind of a standalone message. Uh, obviously, typically I use series and things of like that nature, but uh, for the next couple of weeks, obviously to this week being Palm Sunday, next week being Easter, we're going to be kind of doing some one-off or some standalone messages um, that I'm excited about sharing with you. So typically I don't do, you know, kind of this kind of thing. Um, obviously we'll do an Easter message. I don't think I've ever really done a Palm Sunday type message, so this is a little different, but I am looking forward to kind of sharing some, some thoughts and some things that I believe that we can look at because I think so like at least for me as a kid Palm Sunday was kind of like anticlimactic you know like like I was excited about and I don't know how your family does it or whatever but like like I was excited about that Easter basket and and we would always travel uh, after Easter we'd go to my grandparents farm and so I would get like a little Easter basket in the morning at at my house growing up and then we would go to grandma and grandpa's house and I'd get another Easter basket there. And, and for whatever reason, I always thought this was special uh, or strange. I don't know, whichever. But Grandma always did our Easter baskets at her house in like an old Cool Whip container. I don't know why. I don't care. I wasn't interested in the holding compartment. I was more interested in what it was holding. And so the candy was always good. But like, so for me, Palm Sunday was kind of like the weird holiday, if that makes sense. Like you'd go to church and they'd hand out foliage. And that was always different to me, you know, and, and you'd wave it around and things like that. And usually as, as a kid, you know, that was just a weapon that we could use to smack each other with. And so that's why we don't hand out, you know, branches here. But anyway, we'd have a good time. But, but here's the thing I've always seen, like, like kind of Palm Sunday is kind of like that. Well, you got to get through Palm Sunday to get to Easter. And I don't even mean the candy. I mean, spiritually speaking, we kind of do that too. It's like, okay, yeah, triumphant entry, great, fine and dandy. I mean, I'm sure there's great stuff there. But man, let's get to the, the death. Let's get to the burial. And more importantly, let's get to the resurrection of Jesus. And listen, we're going to do that. We're going to spend some time, obviously, next week looking at some of those things. But also, Palm Sunday is a special day. And it's an important day. And there's things that we can look at and learn that God wants us to understand about who he is, who we are, through this mad, really important day um, in, in our calendar as a, kind of the church. And so we're going to kind of look at that this morning. We're going to look at some unlikely uh, maybe characters that we maybe haven't looked at before and kind of spend some time uh, really examining what God would have us to see and understand about this very special day. The title of the message this morning is The Cult That Became the Carrier of Our King. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we do thank you for this time and this opportunity. Father, I pray that at this time my words would just cease. I mean, they would literally stop. And God, yours would come. Because God, that's what we need. God, we don't need the words of a man. We need the words of God to come forth through your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray for that. And I also pray that you would open every heart to what you want to communicate to us this morning. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at this story this morning in kind of two different uh, accounts. First in the book of John, and then we're going to go to look in the book of Mark. But I kind of want to first kind of, let's kind of lay some groundwork here, and then we'll kind of focus in a little bit more into what I believe God's kind of laid on my heart specifically for this morning. So if you have your Bibles, obviously, or your phones, you can use those. It'll be up here on the screen. We're going to start in John. So in John, uh, verse number 12, or excuse me, chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 12 and 13. Uh, as we kind of open up this, this message about Palm Sunday and these things. So here's what it says. This is the next day, the great 
crowd that had come for the festival, we'll look at that in a minute, okay, come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So in John's account, we get kind of a, 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 a shorter account. We get kind of a kind of very bullet points, kind of these sort of things happen. I think we've, most of us have seen kind of the pictures of this and kind of seen Jesus and kind of the triumphant entry is, is usually what our Bible subtitles call it and things of that nature. And we know all about these things. But, but basically, John kind of begins to break it down into a couple of things that we're going to look at to kind of give us some context and some understanding of this day and why it was going on and why all these things happen and things like that. So that together, first we're going to look at the idea of Passover, we're going to look at Psalms, and we're going to, Palms, excuse me, not Psalms, Palms and Praise, okay? So Passover, Psalms, and Praise. So if you see what John says here in John 12, he says they're coming for the festival, okay? The festival that they're coming for is the festival of Passover. Now, some of us know a little bit about Passover, some of us may not, but, but basically the idea of Passover was a very important day in the Jewish calendar. And it would take usually a little bit of time to get there. A lot of people would travel from wherever they were in the uh, around surrounding areas, and they would travel to Jerusalem for this, this festival. It was a very important one. It was one that really the Israelites and the Jewish people had celebrated for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so they would come and they would come to Jerusalem. They, we think that basically at the time of Jesus that Jerusalem was around 50,000 people normally. But they think that during Passover week and during Passover time that, that that number would jump sometimes up to about 10 times that. So it could swell up to almost a half a million people for this time. And they would take some time to travel, and they would come usually with families and meet with families. And so basically, they would begin to arrive several days, even sometimes a couple of weeks, before Passover would begin. Passover consisted of, of time together with family and a meal and all these sort of things. We're not going to get into the actual act of Passover this morning, but we're just, I'm just trying to give you an overview understanding of it. And so this, this major holiday obviously began way back in the Old Testament, all the way back in Exodus. And so basically at this time, the Israelites, the people of God, are in slavery to Egypt. They cry out. God sends Moses to come and basically, you know, go to Pharaoh, let my people go and all that good stuff. And Pharaoh refuses over and over again. No, I'm not going to do it. So God begins to send plagues to basically say, hey, you know, you need to let my people go and you need to let my people go. And he refuses and he refuses and he refuses. So finally, God speaks to Moses, who then Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, listen, uh, the last plague, plague number 10, is going to be, you know, after all these other plagues, basically the death of the firstborn. And basically Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, this is what God says. He says, every first child, first male son of your flocks and of your kids is going to die. Now, I don't know about you, but after seeing all the stuff that Pharaoh has seen up to this point, like, I'm out. Like, I'm going, okay, listen, I mean, Niles turned to blood, flies, gnats, darkness, hail that turns to fire. I mean, God's serious here, but he doesn't. But God takes an extraordinary step. And he goes to Moses and he says, listen, I want to protect my people from this, this plague, from this death that's coming. 
And so he begins to say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell the people these things. And he begins to say, you need to take a lamb. And I want you to kill the lamb at a certain time and a certain night. And again, we're, not gonna, we're just 30,000 foot view here, guys. And he says, once that lamb has been slain, I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it on the doorposts. And then when this angel, this death angel comes through, he'll pass over and move on. Well, basically the children of Israel do that. But in Egypt, the firstborn, from the, it says, the Bible says from the lowest to the highest, basically from the, the home of Pharaoh to the poorest person, they all are killed. It's a very, very hard story at times to read and understand. But at the same time, God makes a way and provides what we now call our Passover lamb in Jesus. But in that, we're going to look at something a little bit different. I want to look at Passover in maybe a little bit of a different way than maybe you've seen it before. As I was looking at this, and I'm just, you know, total honesty, like when I understood the word Passover, I always looked at it kind of as I think most of us see it, as this idea that, that as the, uh, the, basically as the blood is seen, this, this angel of death or this destroyer, we're going to see it in a moment, what it's called, passes over the home. And, and here's the deal. That is correct. That is a little bit what it means. But I actually looked a little bit deeper this week, and it actually means something a little bit more. So we're going to look at this together because to understand what is going to be taking place, not only on Palm Sunday in our story, but also next week, we need to understand this. So I want to look at this together. What does the phrase Passover mean? What does it mean? So what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to look at the scriptures Let's talk about it, and then we're going to kind of take a step back. So we're going to start with Exodus 12, 13, then we're going to look at 12, 23, and then 12, 27, okay? And I'll explain why we're looking at those in just a minute. So Exodus 12, 13 first says this, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, okay? And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt, okay? So you see it there? We've got the Passover idea. Again, now let's continue. Exodus 12, 23, same chapter. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. And now let's continue last time in Exodus 12 that we see this idea, 27. And when you, and then this is more talking about the Passover celebration that's actually going to happen later. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service or this ceremony that they go through during Passover? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Okay, now we're going to do a little word study. We're not going to dive deep, but we're going to hit this so you understand some things. When you see that word passed over, that word in the Hebrew is a word that is basically pash, pasha, okay? It's P-E-S-A-H, okay? That is a very important word when you under, to understand the story and understand what God is doing through his Passover. There is both the noun version of that word, which is the P-E-S-A-H pronunciation and spelling, and there is the verb, which is P-A-S-A-H, okay? 
So you have basically this idea of a person, place, or thing, and then you have this idea of an action. When you look at the wording here in Exodus 12, you see both. But to really understand what Passover means in a deeper way, we need to not just look at the idea of the idea of Passover, person, place, or thing, but the action that is taking place during Passover. Okay? Let me show you, let me show you another time in Scripture where we see the exact same Hebrew word that's translated, but again, it matches the verbiage and the understanding that we see in Exodus 12, and that's Isaiah 31. Now, most of us would never imagine we would see the idea of Passover in Isaiah, but here it is, Isaiah 31, 5. The Lord of heaven's armies will hover over Jerusalem and protect it like a bird protecting its nest. He will defend and save the city. Here you go. He will pass over it and rescue it. So this idea of Passover is not just this idea of the Lord basically passing over, like kind of, as we kind of see it, you know, like, oh, I'm going along, I'm going along, I'm going along, oh, I see the blood, okay, I'm passing over it. There's something deeper here when you go back to the original ancient Hebrew. The idea here is more than just passing over. It's literally the idea of standing guard, protecting and saving. We see that really more clearly in Exodus 12, 27. Can we jump back to that real quick? I don't have it here in my notes, but can we jump? Perfect. And when you see the children say, uh, no, I'm sorry, 23, 12, 23. There you go. Perfect. Thank you. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, listen, the Lord will pass over the door, but listen to what he does. He will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike it. So here what we're seeing is we really look at the understanding of Passover. It's more than just a passing over. It's literally a standing guard. It is a protection. It's basically saying something is coming that's going to bring death. And when I see the blood, I say no. I say stop. I say you can go no further. Look, at it's in your notes. The Lord himself, what this means, will block the entry of the destroyer. He will be a protective covering for his people. Their security is in his presence. Now, why does this matter so much on Palm Sunday? What was Jesus coming to do? Where was he? He was coming to Jerusalem. He wasn't just coming to celebrate the Passover, although he was. He was coming to be something more. He was literally coming to be that Passover lamb. And in that concept of Passover, as we as Christians can celebrate it today because of what Jesus has done. Jesus came, he offered himself, and in my kind of, the way I see this picture and the way I feel God is wanting us to see it today is that because of what Jesus has done, when the destroyer wants to come and the destroyer wants to destroy and kill, steal and destroy, that we have a Jesus that will stand there at our doorway and say, no, you cannot come in. I am protecting this person. I will save this person. This person, I'm standing guard over their heart and over their life. Passover is so much deeper sometimes than we even understand. He's there. And so here comes Jesus. 
getting ready to celebrate Passover in a couple of days. And I love that, that concept that their security was in his presence. In his presence. Next, we see this idea of, of palms. Palms were, were very normally used in celebrations during the time. And, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on the palm, but, but basically palm branches were a symbol of victory and triumph. So as Jesus comes in, they, they grab these things and they start waving them. It's basically like, man, this is, this is kind of exciting because our king has come. And now they're, they're totally missing it. Okay? They don't understand exactly what kind of triumph the king is going to have over. Right now they're thinking you know, over Rome and over those things. But Jesus is coming to have victory and triumph over death, hell, and the grave. So even though they don't quite understand what they're waving and why... They're waving it because at the same time they don't understand there is going to be some victory and there is going to be some triumph that happens. The last thing we see is this idea of praise. And they begin to say words like Hosanna and, and begin to praise. Oh, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Now to understand this and why they're doing this, you also need to understand the Passover ceremony and kind of what happens during the meal and things like that. Not only did they eat a special meal, but they also would sing hymns or songs and things like that and so they would kind of be used to those they would sing them every year you know it's kind of like in, in our world it's kind of like Christmas carols you know they would sing those every year and basically they would sing a specific set of psalms okay they would sing a specific set of psalms and and just basically that psalms 113 through 118 okay and so they would sing these songs every year. And, and just, just so we don't spend a lot of time on it, it's in your notes. Psalms 113 through 118 are called the Egyptian Hallel, which were sung yearly at Passover. By custom, the, two, the first two psalms, so 13 and 14, 113 and 114, are sung before the Passover meal and the remaining four after it. Okay? So basically what's interesting about this is basically they would do that and they would sing that. One of those psalms, is in, I'm putting your notes here, look, Psalms 118, verses 25 through 26. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the house of the Lord, we bless you. Basically, that idea of, of Lord, save us is really the word Hosanna. It's where we get it. That's what Hosanna basically means. And so they would sing these songs every year. So those songs are on their mind, they're in their hearts, they know them. And as Jesus comes in, they begin to also sing those songs. And just so you know, the Hallel, we use that word, that's, that's basically, it means basically where we get the word hallelujah from. So basically, in some ways, these are the hallelujah psalms, and it's a weird way to put it. But they began to sing those things. And so in John's account, we see this idea. We kind of get this context of this moment. We see the Passover. We see why they're there. We see why it's so important. They're remembering their exodus out of Egypt. They're remembering that God spared them and saved them. We're seeing the idea of victory and triumph. Even though, again, they don't quite understand what Jesus is coming to have victory and triumph over. And then they begin to sing these praises that we see basically in the Egyptian Hillel that basically are totally on their minds and hearts so all these things are kind of in this middle of this now I want to shift now that we understand a little bit of the context and understand a little bit of the, the moment that this is all taking place I want to look at another story or another account not another story another account 
of this story. And this one's found in Mark. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to be Mark 11. And this is kind of where we're going to land for the rest of the morning. So Mark 11, we're going to start with verse number 1 and go to verse number 10. It says, As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. He says, Go into that village over there, he told them. And as soon as you enter... Uh, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the coat standing in the street, tied outside in the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said that Jesus had told them, uh, that Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the processional, a procession and the people around him were shouting, praise God, here we go, blessings on, who, on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, praise God in the highest heaven. So Mark kind of, he, he kind of gets a little bit of what John does, but Mark brings in an interesting character that we're going to focus in on this morning. I doubt that many of you thought, and maybe you looked ahead in the notes or whatever, and you cheated, and that's fine if you did, that's why they're there. But, you know, probably none of you were like, oh, I can't wait to come to church today because I'm going to be compared to a donkey today. No. Okay? Now, now just so you know, okay, I want to I make this clear. Okay? The phrase is not as stubborn as a Missouri donkey. It's as stubborn as a Missouri mule. Donkeys actually get kind of a bad rap, okay? Donkeys aren't nearly as stubborn as you think they are. Really, here's the deal. This is kind of, now, obviously, donkeys are weird looking. They're funny looking. They got the big ears, the short legs, you know. Like, and we're going to get into a little bit more why Jesus, you know, rides in on a donkey versus a horse in a minute. But, but donkeys are not necessarily stubborn. What you don't really understand is donkeys are actually really, really smart. Do you know that? Donkeys actually, a lot of people believe that donkeys are, have the same ideas as far as uh, computing things in their minds as a dog would. That they actually have a lot of logic. They basically, as I was looking at this this week, because I was like, you know, our donkey's really stubborn. Um, I, I kind of found some of this stuff out. They said that basically, if you take a horse, a horse, once it's broken, and you let's come, say, come to a stream or a river, a horse will immediately, once it's broken, obey the rider. So if you say to a horse, cross the stream, the horse is going to cross the stream. The horse is not going to think, is the stream too deep? Am I going to drown? Is this moron on top of me really know what he's doing? Guess what, though? A donkey will. A donkey will go, mm, I'm not so sure about that. And so we have this a thought that it's stubborn when actually it's really kind of going, are you sure we want to do this? Are you really sure that we want to try to do this? So a donkey is very interesting. So I tell you that this morning. So you will walk out not, uh, you know, basically, I can't believe he called me a donkey. This, no, I, I'm being very nice, okay? But I believe there's some elements to this story. There's some elements to this donkey story that maybe we hadn't seen before. But before we even get there, let's remember this. We see this prophesied that Jesus would come in riding this colt on this, this donkey 
a long time ago, way back in the Old Testament. In fact, about 500 years before this takes place, the prophet Zechariah prophesies through the, the gift of prophecy from the Holy Spirit, and he begins to share this. Look what it says, Zechariah 9, 9. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So 500 years before this ever takes place, God prophesies through his prophet and tells them what's coming and what's going to happen. And so this morning, what we're going to do to kind of close this morning out is we're going to take a moment and look at four elements of the donkey story. Four elements of the donkey story. And here's the thing, remember, and again, I, I, I say this in, in the most loving way I can, um, you're the donkey this morning. <laughs> you're the one that I want you to see yourself in. If you're going to be in a character in this story this morning, I'd like you to look at the idea of being the donkey because I believe there's some truth in God's word that we can use in our lives. So number one, the first thing, Jesus knew of the donkey. Jesus knew of the donkey. He says, go into that village over there, he told them, and as soon as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Jesus knew the donkey was there. I love that. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously Jesus knows everything and all those things. And, and, but at the same time, how cool is that? Jesus doesn't have to go, man, I wonder, or is it there? Or should it be there? Jesus knew it was there. Jesus didn't have to doubt it. Jesus didn't have to say, well, maybe when you walk in. Jesus knew. So many times in our lives, we have this feeling that God has forgotten us. That God doesn't care. Can I reassure you this morning? I don't care where you are at. Jesus knows where you are. He has not forgotten you. He has not left you. He knows exactly where you are. You go, but Aaron, you don't know how far I've run. You don't know how far I've gone. And you're right, I don't, but I know Jesus does. He knows exactly where you are. He has not forgotten you, and he will never forget you. And sometimes in these moments where, where life gets hard and where seasons of difficulty and seasons where things just aren't quite working out the way we want, it's so easy to forget that. But here, can I, can I help you with this? If Jesus knew where a donkey was, he knows where you are. I love the scripture where basically God, Jesus says, he says, he's, look at the sparrows. Look at the sparrows how God takes care of them. He says, look at, the, look at the flowers in the valleys, how beautiful they are. The context of this is not to worry, but at the same time, he basically says these ideas, and he says, listen, he basically says this, I'm paraphrasing. He says, if God knows about the flowers and about the birds, and I'll add this, and about a donkey, he knows about you. If he cares about them, he cares about you. Basically, Jesus says, how much more valuable are you? And it's so easy to forget, but Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Number two, Jesus knew the donkey needed to be untied. He knew the donkey needed to be untied. Look at Mark 2, uh, 11, 2b. It says, untie it and bring it here. Now, I think this was a big one. Okay. 
because I think that for some of us, we want, we, we, we know what, you know, like we want God to use us. We want God to have all these things. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit flowing through our lives and all these sort of things. But there is a problem that we need to understand. And that is we have been tied to a doorpost and we don't even understand it. For some of you, you are tied to fear. You're fearful. You're afraid. I don't know what you're afraid of, but fear is a major part of your heart and your life. And listen, hear me here. Jesus wants to untie you of that this morning. For some of you, it's some type of an addiction. Not usually when you hear the word addiction, you go to these, oh, this or that or drugs or alcohol. Listen, addiction can come in many, many different forms. But you have been tied up by that addiction. You are bound up. And to be used in the way that Jesus wants to use you, you have got to be untied. You've got to be untied. You know, if you have a dog at home, you know, hopefully when you take the dog for a walk, you, um, you, you put the dog on a leash. The donkey was put on a leash. Why? Because they didn't want the donkey to go away and, and, and do its own thing. But yet Jesus has this desire in your heart and in your life to come and bring you freedom. Not bondage. Freedom. And can I be open and honest with you? There's some of us today, online and here, that are bound up by different things. Like I said, it may be fear, it may be addiction, it may be many, many different things. And we need to allow Jesus to untie us again. Okay? We need to allow Jesus to come and break those chains that we've been experiencing. Jesus knew the donkey needed to be untied. Because here's the deal. Here's the thing to remember. As weird as this sounds, the donkey could never have been used by Jesus if he had remained tied to the post. So many of us, we want to go, God, use me. God, this. God, I want to do this. I want to do that. And what we don't understand is we're literally tied to a post. Because we haven't gone to Jesus and said, you know what? I'm bound up with some stuff, Father, and I need some freedom. I need you to come, and I need you to break the chains in my heart and in my life. So Jesus knew the donkey needed to be untied. Number three, this may sound simple, but it's very profound. Jesus needed the donkey. He needed the donkey. Listen, if anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it, and we'll return it soon. The Lord needs it. The Lord has a special thing that God wants to use you to make, uh, to accomplish for his kingdom. You know, and I, I mentioned this earlier, you know, the fact that here comes Jesus and he's riding in on this, this, this donkey, you know, and this is such a strange, you know, in our minds, it's such a strange picture, you know, because it's like, Jesus, why, you know, why didn't you choose a horse? You know, and obviously God prophesied it, but God could have prophesied about a horse. Why is he riding on this funny looking animal? What does that mean? Why is this important? Well, you have to understand the context of the time and understand why this took place. You see, Jesus could have got a horse, but if he would have come in on a horse, that would have symbolized something very important to the people that Jesus did not want to be communicated. You see, they had seen people come in on horses before, 
And they came in as like it was a war horse. It was a, a conquering king type of situation. And so if they would have seen Jesus come in on that, it would have totally fed into them this idea that Jesus was coming to set up an earthly kingdom. But when Jesus came on a donkey, on a colt, that was a symbol to those that were assembled that this was a man of peace. That he was coming in not to basically be served, but to serve. That he was coming in not to fight an earthly kingdom, but to fight and destroy a spiritual kingdom of the enemy. And so he had that. He needed the donkey. Because he had a very important message that he needed expressed to the people that were there. God needed that. Jesus needed that. And so he used the donkey. The last one. The last one. This one's a little longer. There was a specific purpose for which this donkey was designed to make a difference. Look at Mark eleven seven. 7. Then they brought the colt to Jesus. They threw their garments over it. And he sat on it. This donkey, man, listen. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Like, I know this is a weird way to put it, but can you imagine being that donkey? Under, like, like, like I've said this before. The only thing that disobeys God in his creation is us. (laughs) That donkey, remember, that donkey wasn't dumb. I know this is going to sound weird, and maybe I'm wrong here. I don't know, but I, I just got a feeling that donkey knew exactly who was on his back. I don't know about you, and again, I think donkeys are weird looking. I think colts are funny looking. But at the same time, if there was ever a moment where that donkey was like, woo, I'm, I'm carrying the king, it was then. That donkey had been set aside for that purpose. Remember what it said. It said this was a donkey that no one had ever ridden. That tells us two things. Number one, it really wasn't broken. And Jesus said, you know what? It's all right. I got control over the situation. But two, it also says that that donkey had been set aside for a special purpose. And that special purpose was to have Jesus on its back as it came through those gates. You know what I found with people? There's a lot of people, and again, this is going to sound weird, but I think you got me following here, who feel very much like a donkey. You know, God, you could use me, but you know, my ears are just so big. You know, God, you could use me, but you know, you know how low I kind of sit to the ground. God... I know you could use, I know you want to use me, but God, wouldn't a horse be better? Wouldn't a, wouldn't a horse look a lot better than me? And you know what God's response to that is? I set you aside for a special plan and a special purpose that I have for you. You see, I can't accomplish your purpose and your mission that God has given you, and you can't accomplish mine. We have been set aside to make a difference for God. And you can't meet the things that I need to do and and vice versa. Now listen, we can partner together, we can work together, we can do that together and make an amazing uh, uh, difference for the kingdom. 
We can and we do and we will. But at the same time, there was only one donkey. There was only one that was set aside to do what he did. And listen, you need to understand that. You need to stop looking at yourself and going, you know what, my ears are too big. I'm a donkey. I'm not a horse. I can't do this. I can't do that. And understand that that's okay because you weren't created to do those things. You see, if the donkey had been a horse, he wouldn't have been the one that was used to carry the king to the cross. Obviously, he didn't take him to the cross, but to, into Jerusalem to start what we call Passion Week. This is huge. Because so many of us believe the lies of the enemy that say, you know what, you're a mistake. How could God use you? Your ears are too big. Oh, oh, you're way too stubborn. When God says, oh no, what you need to understand is you were created with a special purpose in mind. You were designed to make a difference for me. I love this verse. I know we've heard it before, but don't miss what God is trying to communicate to Jeremiah and also to us. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Do you realize that God didn't just say that about Jeremiah? He said it about all of us? That he would say, Aaron, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and anointed you to do what I've called you to do. Those words have been spoken over Jeremiah, but they have also been spoken over every person who has ever been born. God knew us. Before we were ever a thought, before we were ever a dream, before we were ever an idea in our parents' minds, our God knew us and formed us. And listen, I know here's what we typically hear. We love that idea of God forming us. But some, for some strange reason, we stop the scripture there. Forming is awesome. I like the forming. It's a beautiful picture. I get it. But there is something just as profound, maybe more so, in that idea that says, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you. I set you apart. That donkey was set apart from all the others. Why? Because God has something very, very important and special for that donkey to accomplish. For so many of us, we have forgotten that. For so many of us, we have forgotten that Jesus knows us that he hasn't forgotten us. We have forgotten that we truly have some areas in our life that are still binding us up and tying us down. For some of us, we have forgotten that Jesus needed that donkey in a way that we probably never understood before. And finally, that God has a special purpose for each and every one of us, that we all have been set apart and appointed by God for something amazing. Listen, listen, hear me here. 
what you have been set apart for and appointed for is between you and God. But I will tell you this. It's greater than you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. Whatever you come up with that says, this is what I'm appointed for, this is what God's got set me apart for, I promise you this, God has something greater. Whatever you've figured out, oh, oh God, I, I believe you, you've called me to be a, 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 a witness to these people in, in my family. You know what, God's like, yeah, I have. But you know what, I've also called you to be a witness to your entire community. Whatever God has called you to, know that God has great things in store for you. Things that you can never hope, dream, or imagine. Don't allow the enemy, don't allow yourself to not believe that. Because here's the deal. If God had a special plan for a donkey, <laughs> he's got a special plan for you. If God could use a donkey, God can use you. No matter what excuses you come up with, here's the thing about excuses with God. God takes your excuses and says, you know what, those excuses are fine, dandy, and whatever. But here's the bottom line. I created you in a way that even your excuses I can use. Even the things you go, this is God why you can't use me. God goes, you're wrong. That is exactly why I can use you. And God wants to use us in a mighty way. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Let's close so we can just focus. Like I said, I, I doubted anybody, unless you looked ahead of the notes, were like, you know, I'm going to be compared to a donkey today. But you know what? In some ways, that's a pretty... In this, this donkey, I mean, I think we can learn a lot. As we look at this entire picture now, as we understand Palm Sunday and the significance of it, we begin to see some, some major themes begin to come out. Obviously, Jesus is there. He's coming to celebrate Passover. He's coming to, to be that lamb. As we look back all the way back into Exodus, God tells the Israelites the type of lamb that they're supposed to have and they're supposed to, to take and and just so you know, um, again, a little more understanding of Passover, they would do a sacrifice. And, and this was an interesting sacrifice. Because typically, in all the other sacrifices, you would bring your sacrifice to the temple, to the priest, and you would hand it over to the priest. And the priest would then slaughter the animal. In the Passover sacrifice, it was different. In the Passover sacrifice, you would bring your lamb or, or whatever to the temple. But you were the one who ended its life. You were the one who would spill its blood. Earlier this morning, we took communion and we talked about that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. John the Baptist, very early in John's gospel, he looks and he sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was coming 
to die, to be that protector, to be that one that because his blood was shed, when the destroyer comes to kill, steal, and destroy, he's standing guard over our hearts. And he says, no, don't you see the blood? Move on. And we see that obviously in our lives here on earth, but we see it in a more greater, richer understanding when we pass from this life to the next. When the destroyer stands before God and says, guilty. And yet Jesus says, no, I'm going to stand in this gap. I'm going to stand guard over this person because they have accepted me. And so now my righteousness has been transferred to them. And it's interesting that next week and through this week as we remember and celebrate all those things, to start that week, Jesus rode in on a donkey. And if God can use a donkey, he can use you. But I will say this. We need to understand some of the same things the donkey did and Jesus did to accomplish what God really has for us to do. And so, like I said, for some of you, you need to allow God to speak to you right now and just minister to your heart and say, you know what? I knew you. I knew you then. I know you now. I need to untie some things in your life. I need you for this purpose, and I set you aside for it. And then allow God to use you in that way. I don't know where you're at, but I do know that God has a special plan for every individual. And sometimes what we need to do is just yield to God and his plan and allow him to do that in our hearts and in our lives. So I want to pray over you and pray with you. And no matter where you're at this morning, I, I, I do believe that for a majority of us, we're, we're in one of those four places that we talked about. And I believe God wants to, to come in a powerful way and speak to those fears and those doubts and those situations and bring life to those areas and change you in that place from the inside out. So whatever those areas are, as I pray over you, will you just, will you be bold enough to just pray and ask Jesus to do those things in you? Because I believe that God has a special plan. Father, we love you and we thank you. Jesus, man, what a story. Man, a donkey. You know, not that this is to obviously come to a shock to you, Jesus, but I probably would have done it differently. But Jesus, you knew what needed to happen and why. You knew that that donkey was there. 
You knew that that donkey needed to be untied. You knew that you needed that donkey and you knew that that donkey had been set aside for a special appointment and a special purpose and a special plan. And God, we are the same. Jesus, we can be a donkey in in, in the spiritual sense. We can be able to, to put you on our back and take you wherever you need to go to accomplish the great things that you want to do. You see, it's amazing to think about it. The donkey's job wasn't to die. The donkey's job wasn't to do all the stuff. The donkey's job was simply to carry you, Jesus, so that you could do what only you can do. Father, there's a lot of peace in that. There's a lot of joy in that. That as we abide with you, God, you will produce much fruit in us and through us. So God, we love you. We thank you. God, as we celebrate Palm Sunday today and then move into this week, Jesus, I just pray that our focus would be just on you and that you would allow us to celebrate you, not just on next Sunday, not just on Friday night, but on every day of this week in a very powerful, special way. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Listen. I hope that you have a wonderful week. Um, obviously, it's a very special week. Um, we're going to be, uh, after we're kind of, we hang out here for a little bit, we're going to head over to Jason's Deli. Listen, if you don't have lunch plans, come join us for lunch. We have a great time. We take over Jason's Deli and at the very end of the meal. And if you want to do this before the end of the meal, that's totally fine. But they have ice cream. And it's nice and warm. I mean, like today, it's like today is a good ice cream day. And so we'd love to have you come and fellowship with us after service. Obviously, next week is a very special Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And so I'm very excited about sharing what God's laid on my heart with you that day and all the special things that we have planned. So make sure you're here. Invite your family. Invite your friends. For some people, man, they are just waiting for an invitation. Okay? They're just waiting for an invitation. So I'm excited. Come back next week ready to celebrate all that God has done. All right? Have a great week. I hope I see you at lunch, and we'll see you soon.